When a person comes to Christ, the blood of Jesus covers a multitude of sin. And I'm grateful for that because I had a lot of sin. And in the midst of everything that goes on, you have to understand that as believers, um, we're saints. The Bible tells us that. I'm a new creation. The sin that I've committed is no longer something that's held to my account. It's how I live from here on in that matters. Because all of us can understand this, that many of us, because we've accepted Christ in our lives, we're heaven bound, but I also want to be useful for the kingdom of God. Amen? We've heard the message last week, and if you didn't get that message, I don't know, sometimes we look at the messenger and we're like, oh man, I don't know what you're going to do with this one. But last week was powerful. Throughout the whole week, I'm thinking about how am I being useful and how am I being useless? That, that was immensely powerful for me to be able to take that with me and begin to say, okay, man, this sounds like a bunch of useless stuff. Because I really want to be used by God for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Um, I want to share with you out of the Old Testament today, and then we're going to dive into the New Testament as well. Um, I like doing that because without the old, we can't have the new. So some people say I'm a New Testament Christian. Don't realize that everything in the New Testament points to the Old Testament because prophetically it pointed to that. So, but I want to go into the Old Testament because there are moments in our life, I think, and just I want to keep it on me, in which in the midst of my struggle, my pain, my hardship, my circumstances, situations I find myself in, I think like God is not paying attention to me. Like he's not listening to me. <laughs> like I'm praying and I'm asking, right? And nothing's happening. Has that ever happened to you? Like maybe you're in a situation right now and you've been praying and praying and nothing's happening. You keep repeating those old behaviors. You keep, you know, acting out in that area. You keep doing that. You keep screaming at your spouse. You keep, you know, kicking the cat. You know, you just keep doing these things. And I'm here to tell you today that God knows. You see, the Bible tells me that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And because of who he is, he begins to do something in our lives and he knows who you are. Now, you didn't hear that. He knows who you are, so stop trying to fake it. He knows who you are. You don't have to perform for anybody. If you are going to act, act for an audience of one, and that is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the one that you should be concerned about. You should be concerned about getting your vertical access right. You should get it right with God and forget about everybody else. That's how I live. I don't really, I'm not concerned about what you think about me. I'm concerned more about what God thinks about me. Because if God, who's already said how he feels about me, then he's got to work it out in your life so that you can look at me the same way. You see, because when we begin to look at people with our eyes, we find a lot wrong. Right? We compare them with ourselves. We have this checklist. We start going off. You're not this. You're not that. You're not that. You didn't do this. You didn't take care of that. You didn't do it this way. You didn't do it that way. Right? I mean, we get a failing grade with each other on a regular basis. But when we begin to take off your lenses and put on the way God looks at us, you'll say, man, God loves this person. God paid a high price for this person. God cares about this person. God has forgiven this person. You begin to act differently with one another. Throw away your checklist. Throw away your assessments of one another. Allow you to look at one another through the eyes of God and realize that God died for that very person that you have a hard time with. They may not be walking the way you want them to walk, 
But God died for them. He sent himself through the person of Jesus Christ. God came himself. He looked on the landscape of the world and realized no one can pay the price of sin. He gave of himself, born of a virgin, grew up among us, experienced what we experienced, but yet did not sin. Amen? We could stand to our feet, want to read God's word. Again, when we stand, what are we doing? We're honoring God. We, we believe that God's word is above everything and anything. Amen? Amen. We're going to be reading from Exodus uh, chapter 3, verse 7 through 10. I don't know if you realize that Exodus means to exit. I believe that someone needs to exit today. There's their circumstance, their situation, where, where you find yourself. I believe that today there could be a mass exodus of, of, of some of us who are suffering under conditions that we don't have to suffer anymore. Situation we find ourselves, listen, sin today, listen to me, and always has been an act of the will. It is something you do. You have a choice today. When you're a little kid, I can understand. Your parents tell you to go to bed at a certain time, eat certain foods, do your homework. I can understand that there's somebody that logs over you. But right now, this moment, each one of you have the choice to decide, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm just not. For no other reason except that it hurts the heart of God. Because he has this sumptuous meal for you. He has set up this beautiful life for you, and you choose to dine with pigs. I do not understand that. I can't fathom that. You know why? Because I ate with pigs, and I'm never going back to that. I'm never going back to that. So I believe that today is a day of exodus. I believe it's a day of exit, of freedom, of liberation for us. Amen? Because God knows where you are. Amen? Amen? Exodus, I'm going to read it out loud. <clears throat> it says this, Then the Lord told him, he's talking to Moses, You can be sure I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries for deliverance from their harsh slave drivers. Yes, yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come to rescue. Somebody say rescue them from the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, and Jebusites live. The cries of the people of Israel have reached. Somebody say reached. reached. Me and I have seen how the Egyptians have oppressed them with heavy tasks. Now go for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You will lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. You may be seated. That is the reading of God's word. Amen, amen, amen. When you get to Exodus, you've got to pass Genesis. In order to understand Genesis, you begin to realize that it's their book of beginnings. It's where God begins everything. It's in the beginning. He creates and goes forth and begins to impress himself upon people. We fly by the situation with Noah where God finds himself uh, concerned about what he's created. And he moves past that. He takes care of that with a flood. It sounds cartoonish, but it's biblical. At the end of the day, he keeps moving forward and lifts up this young man by the name of Joseph. Joseph's an amazing character because what happens with Joseph, he's young. And oftentimes, I don't know about you, 
But when I was young, it was you could be seen but not heard, right? You, you don't know anything. You, you don't understand what's going on. That's what I love about the scriptures because God gives us this whole landscape to look at, young and old alike. He uses us all. Amen? And he gives Joseph the dream. He gives him the dream about really salvation because it's about saving not only his family but the people of God who's already made, he have made a promise to there were going to be a multitude. It would be a nation straight out of Abraham and Sarah's womb. This was going to happen. But Joseph gets caught up in this life in which he has people around him. Um, now, in modern times, we call them haters. And they hated him because he had this gift and he had this favor. Let me just pause for a moment to help you out with that. Because we serve the same God and we're on that same line of being blessed. When someone in front of you gets blessed, you should rejoice. I'm going to say that again because some of you need to hear it twice. Same God, same line. We all want to be blessed. If I get blessed, rejoice. Because your blessing is coming. You just happen to be in the back of the line. It's the way it works. Right? You're in front of me, you get blessed. Wait for your turn, you get blessed. Amen? And that's important for us to understand. Joseph finds himself in that situation, fast forward, winds up. The dream that God gave him comes to fruition. He winds up in the second highest position in Egypt. Pharaoh, Joseph. God's dream to him was you would save your family. The only way to get save your family is to be in a position to save your family. He couldn't save him being a shepherd boy. He saved them by being second in command. Now, if you don't remember, he's Jewish. The Egyptians are Egyptians. Grows up in that house, and he takes control of everything, except, of course, Pharaoh lets him know you have control of everything, except this, 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 and he works out. Saves his people. There's a dream that he gets. Saves his people from starvation. Fast forward. He brings these people, his father and his brothers and their family, to Egypt. Right outside of Egypt, there's this little place called Goshen. And you have to understand that because while there's trouble in Egypt, there's never trouble in Goshen. God is over that place protecting his people. The Pharaoh that loved Joseph now dies and there's a new Pharaoh. And he sees how these people are being blessed. And rather than come alongside them and utilize them so that he can be blessed, he decides he's going to enslave them. In fact, he sends out this order to tell all the Jewish women, the midwives, when they help give birth, he says, listen, when these women are about to give birth, because they're giving birth like crazy, they're just popping them out, okay? And if they grow to a certain point, they're going to conquer us. If they get upset with us, they'll come and conquer us. So here's the solution. Let's do this whole wiping out of the males. As soon as they're born, I want you to drown them in the water. Now, you have to stay with me, because Moses' mother didn't listen to what they said, except she didn't drown him. She put him in a basket, and she pushed him down the river, and he wound up in Pharaoh's house. Now, <laughs> you're not getting this. This is God orchestrating this all the way. This is why you're still here, because God has been on the move on your behalf. He's orchestrating things slowly but surely. Why? Because he wants to make you useful. 
He wants to use you for his glory and honor. He wants to dumbfound the wise. He, he wants you to go back to the rooms. He wants you to go back to your neighborhoods. He wants you to go back to your job. And, and people will look at you and gawk and say, what the heck happened to you? <laughs> and you can say, Jesus. Yes. You can say, Jesus. And, 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 and you know, there, there are people who are cynical and say, Jesus who? And then that's your opportunity to let them know who Jesus is. Amen? Because he's not the bodeguero. You know what I mean? He's not the corner grocery store guy. This is the most pivotal individual who, when he arrived on earth, separated time. That simply, for me, is magnificent. B.C. and A.D. are not something people came up with. It's something that's completely related around the birth of Jesus. Amen? Moses gets raised up, but in the midst of all this that's going on, God already knows his people. That's why I say God knows. Why does God know? Because he made you. He created you. He knows every hair on your head, every thought you're thinking, every feeling. He knows your yesterday, todays, and tomorrows. He wants to alter your tomorrow, but he's got to do it in the present. The only way that happens in the present is by you submitting, surrendering, and yielding your life to Jesus Christ. Otherwise, your tomorrows are going to be just as difficult. Why? He has a plan from the very beginning. He saved you, and he's not going to leave you there. And he's got to get you here. And along the way, because of your resistance, there's going to be some chipping, some chopping, some bumps, some bruises, some pain, because you like pain. And God is telling you, let's get past this pain. Let's get past this unnecessary stuff that you're involving yourself. He's no good for you. She's no good for you. It's no good for you. They're no good for you. Why are you still with them? That's, that's something you have to grasp. It's important for us to relate to that because what begins to happen with Moses, now this happens with his people. But in Genesis, look, Genesis chapter 15, verse 13 and 14, it says this. Because people don't see this. They see this as a narrative that's not happening. But you go back to Genesis so you can understand Exodus. It says, then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. Well, they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. That's the movement of God back in Genesis. Exodus doesn't catch him by surprise. God is not just writing this down as he goes along. This already has been written. Your life has already been set before you. All you got to do is embrace it, acknowledge who he is, and begin to walk in that life that he has set before you. Why? For the life of me, we go left to right. It's not comprehensible, but it is because within us, within us, there is an enemy. Within us, there is desires that we can't control, impulses and, and things that we want, and, and they're not good for us, but we still want them. We don't need them because all we need is God. But we want them because God is too slow. We say, God, you don't know what I, what I need. God, you don't see what's going on. God, you don't hear me. God, what's going on? You know, my, 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 my clock is ticking. You know, I, I, I'm getting old. You know, like, what's going on, God? I need you to intervene here. And God is in heaven saying, hey, man, I already mapped it out for you. I already mapped it out for you. All you got to do is follow what I say. And along the way, things are going to happen. But in Genesis, he says, these people are going to wind up being oppressed. Why are they going to be oppressed? Because they're going to pursue other gods. And that's what other gods do. Other gods demand a sacrifice. 
Other gods demand a sacrifice. If you're in recovery, it demands that you use on a regular basis. That is a sacrifice to that god. If you're a believer, your sacrifice should be your praise, should be your worship, should be the way you live according to God's word. But oftentimes what we do is because God is slow, we pursue other things. And they enslave us. These people became enslaved because they pursued other gods, but in the midst of it, because God already had a plan that he was going to make them a nation. And because of that nation, many will be blessed, a direct result of us being here today. That nation was not going to finish their life in Egypt. They had to go forward. And now God says this. I'm going to send you. I've heard them. I've seen them. I know. And I'm going to send you to lead them out of that situation. And of course, we know what happens. Moses begins to stutter. He begins to have trouble with his speech. By the way, he was very articulate and eloquent prior to his calling. Right? That happens with us, doesn't it? God says, go and speak to that person. But I don't know what to say. Go and do that. I'm, I'm, I'm too tired right now. Go, go and do that. We make excuses. Moses tried to make excuses. God eliminated all the excuses. Don't worry about it. Take my staff. Don't worry about it. Send, let them know that I send you. Don't worry about it. By the way, take your brother. You don't got to talk. He'll talk for you. <laughs> God makes a way with all the excuses you have. Every excuse you have to serve him, every excuse you have to live for him, every excuse you have to help your neighbor, every excuse you have to be your brother's keeper, every excuse you have to walk in this newness of life gets wiped away. There's just no reason that you can come up with, that you can phantom, you can say, God, you know, you don't understand. Really? God doesn't understand? God, you don't know. Really? I don't know. God, you can't see. Really? I'm blind? All these things, God wipes them away. And he says to them, really powerful, he says, you can be sure that I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard. I've seen. I know. I'm aware. But I'm going to send you to lead them out. There's a rescue mission here. People need to be rescued from an external enemy. There's somebody that's enslaving them, somebody that's beating on them, somebody that's not caring for them. Somebody that's treating them harshly. There's a mission, a rescue mission that has to happen. When there is a rescue mission of the highest order of our government, we send the Navy SEALs. A rescue mission of this nature, God tags a man, gives him his power, and shows everybody what he can do when someone is willing to submit and surrender to God. You want to be used by God? Stop fooling around. Stop fooling around, man. Stop it. All this bickering, all this fighting. Come on, really. You don't have to keep doing that. Because, yeah, you say, you, you know, Jesus, you know, I accept Jesus, but accepting Jesus is not enough. How do I know you accepted Jesus? Seriously, how do I know? You don't have to answer. I think the camera is going. We're recording. You don't have to answer. But check this out. The way I know is the way you live. Oh, man, that's how easy it is? Yeah. You accepted Jesus Christ, now live for Jesus Christ. That looks a particular way. When you love someone, it looks a particular way. When you feed someone, it looks a particular way. When you clothe someone, it looks a particular way. When you care for someone, it looks a particular way. When a mother cares for a child, doesn't throw it out. It looks out for it, it nurtures it, it cares for it. That's what God wants to do with you. He cares for you. He wants to nurture you. He wants to, he wants, why? Because he knows, he sees, he hears, he's aware of everything you're going through. So when you're sitting there saying, God, you're not coming fast enough. God, you're not showing up. God, I don't think you're listening to me. 
I'm still in this bad situation, and you're not showing up for me. And, and if you don't show up for me by 10 o'clock tonight, I'm going to do something really bad. We tell God, if you don't do this, then I'm not going to love you anymore. Let's reverse that for a moment. How many times have you told God the opposite? God, if you don't, right? Like you, you tell God that, right? You tell God that regularly. God, if you don't take care of this, I'm not going to do that for you. I'm not going to follow you. Imagine if God was to say that to you. <laughs> right? That, that, that you come up with this, you know, and God says, you know what? I'm tired of you, Gus. I'm done with you. I seen what you did the other day. I'm done with you. I'm not going to love you anymore. That would be totally against who he is. We could toss our Christianity out the door. We could all become something else. We could all believe in something else. Maybe we can believe in something where we all come back as something else and get a second chance. I don't know. But that premise of God not loving me because I am so messed up and because I don't do what he tells you to do. Come on, somebody in here better say hallelujah, glory to God. Because you haven't been doing what? You have not been doing what he's asked you to do. Come on, just me and Keith, me and Keith. I love you, Keith, just me and Keith, me and Keith. Nobody else. Everybody here is obedient to the T's, you know what I mean? But, 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 but check this out. Me and Keith going to get it right, right? Because we just made a whole admission of where we are. And the minute you make that admission of where you are, God can begin to work with you. You need to be honest with God, honest with yourself, and honest with others. That's the only way you get help. If I say, do you need help? You say, man, I'm good. I said, dude, your arm is bleeding. No, nah, I'm good. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Denial prevents us from growing. Doesn't allow us. Trying to do this on your own doesn't help you. Eventually, you're going to wind up worshiping another god. And here's what happens. There's a rescue mission. Imagine there's a rescue mission, and you've been hostage, and you've been enslaved for so long, and the door's kicked down, and everybody wants to get you out. He says, no, I'm going to stay. Yeah, I'm going to stay here. It's better here. I'm not sure about what's going to happen out there. Listen, the uncertainty of life is the beauty of life. It's a spontaneous thing that happens when we're walking with the Lord, when we get that breeze when we're hot. Anybody had a, a, a cool breeze and a hot summer day and you're like, thank you? Like, like these are things that God provides for us. God is constantly providing despite who you are, and what you do. God sees you better than you see yourself. God loves you where you are right now. God cares about you right now. And he's saying, listen, let's do this relationship. For once in your life, let's get this relationship right. You've blown every other relationship, for crying out loud. There is so much collateral damage with your mess. It's unbelievable. Let's try to get this one right. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it all. All you got to do is surrender. Wait a minute. That sounds easy, no? He says, well, I don't want to surrender because I still like that. I still want that. That's what enslaved these people. He sends Moses on a rescue mission, and he, is, he sets his mind on saving his people from Genesis all the way to Revelation. 
Every single step of the way, as you read the Bible, whether it's in battle, whether it's healing, whether it's the relationships we have, whether it's our finances, God, every step of the way, you don't believe it? There was a widow who didn't have enough to eat. She fed the prophet, and all of a sudden, she had enough to eat and sell. There are stories in the Bible. Lazarus died. Somehow he came to life, right? He came to life because who? Because Jesus spoke words of life into his life. And he resurrected. You have to see these things. I mean, this whole miracle of the blind receiving their sight and the deaf being able to hear, that is something that just blows me away. No. Even this whole coin in a fish's mouth, like, it just, where's, where's Steven Spielberg? I need him. I need him to film this. Because I'm walking down and I don't have anything and you want to charge me taxes. Wait a minute. I can't, you can't tax somebody who doesn't have. You want to oh, open a fish's mouth, pay Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give me what belongs to me. What belongs to God? You. You belong to God. Why would you give yourself to anybody else? Why would you do that? Like God has a future and a hope. He wants to prosper you, doesn't want to harm you. How long do you stay in a relationship or in a circumstance or in a place where you're being harmed? Now, I can lay you down on my couch and charge you $75, and I can tell you why. But you know why. There's something inside you that needs to be redeemed. Fast forward. We have a rescue mission in Exodus. Now we have a rescue mission. 27 AD. It's not an external enemy. It's an internal enemy. There's an enemy inside of me that causes me to act out. There is a perception that I have of myself and the world that causes me to act out. And what I mean by act out is simply just living a life without God. There is no God, so therefore I can do whatever I want. There's a lot of people that walk around like that. It's a shame when it happens in the church. It's a shame when people say they got God and then they act the way they want to. Because I don't know what God you got, but it's not the God of the Bible. You know, maybe you picked them up on Times Square, a little statue, I don't know. But it's not my God. My God requires something. Not a sacrifice, but obedience. That's what he requires. He says, man, if you do it this way, you'll be blessed. If you do it this way, you'll be cursed. I'm not sitting up there with a lightning bolt looking to strike you. It's right there. Did you do it this way? No. Then it's a consequence of you not doing it my way. You did it your way. So, so being aware of that, it goes on to say now, let's fast forward in Psalm chapter 34, verse 17 and 19. It says, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them for all, from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Come on now. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous face many trouble, but the Lord rescues them from a few of them. Somebody correct me, please. I can't read. What does it say there? <laughs> don't let me misquote scripture, please. All right? Don't fall asleep in here and let me misquote scripture. It clearly says, but the Lord comes to the rescue what? Every time. Every time you find yourself in a mess, God shows up. I was in a mess. He showed up. He showed up. That was the rescue. Why? Because it says clearly here, the Lord hears his people when they call. Are you calling on God? 
In the situation that you find yourself, or you're dialing the number and trying to reach your friend, trying to reach your mother, trying to reach your father, trying to reach your uncle, trying to reach somebody to help you. And listen to me. They can't help you like God can help you. You need someone to kick down that door. You need someone to pull you out of that room. You need someone to, to take that car and, and move it in a different direction. You need God to show up because you're a hot mess. You like what you do, and you need to be rescued because the enemy within you will kill you. So now there's a rescue mission, 27 AD, and God has to send somebody. Who does he send? Jesus. Jesus is always the hero in all these stories. He's always the hero. I go, you know, my son is a, a Marvel comic and kind of guy like that. We, every time we go, you know, we, we sit down and we watch a movie because I like going to movies with him because he enjoys it more than I do, for crying out loud. You know, and we're watching movies and he's always talking about it. And afterwards, of course, I got to hit him with the Jesus thing. And I'm like, tell me about the movie. And he starts going with it. And I'm saying, yeah, I'm scratching my head. I said, hey, didn't Jesus save the world? That character tried to save the world. He says, oh, dad, it's got to be about Jesus now. It's always about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. Always about Jesus. Always about Jesus. Karate, you kill 100 people. One person is still standing at the end. Jesus. Flies through the air, sees everybody, hears everybody. Jesus. So enjoy the movie, have your popcorn, but we're talking about Jesus later. Right? That is the power of realizing that Jesus is in everything, for everything. Everything was created by him, for him, and through him. Why? For the glory of him. So God hears, he sees, he knows, he's aware of where you are and what you're going through. So he fast forward because now he has this rescue mission and we have an internal enemy. And the way to be able to overcome that is believing that Jesus Christ says who he says he is, did what he did, and will return. Once you enter to that understanding, by the way, that can be manipulated. You, you, can't, you can't do that. You can't just say, oh, I love Jesus, and then act like the devil. You can't just do that. And nobody comes to Jesus unless God is already drawing that person. So if you're here for the first time, if you're regularly coming here on Sunday, listen, all he's trying to do is clear out the space, the clutter between you and him so that you can walk in the newness of life that he's established with you. There is too much clutter in front of you and him. There is too much, and he's reaching, and he's calling, and he's asking you, come sit with me, come dine with me, come be with me. And you're saying, oh, there's too much clutter in front of me. Let me clean out my room first. Let me do laundryness. Let me take care of the kids. Let me pursue that lover and God is saying no let me clean your laundry yeah. make me your lover let, let me take care of you because I got to tell you something when he decides to take care of you you're never going to lack anything again in your life look what it says in 1st Timothy chapter 2 verse 6 it says this he gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, it says, and to give my life as a ransom for many. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. He is so rich in kindness that he purchased our freedom through the blood of his son and our sins are forgiven. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, 19 says this. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. He paid for you with the precious life blood of Christ. 
sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Rescue mission. Someone had to die. You were going to be saved, but someone had to die. Before it was, hey, Exodus, rescue mission, external enemy, we'll take care of him. They're going to die. And they did in the Red Sea. They're going to pursue you, and we're going to take care of them. That's your external enemies. Your internal enemy is you, your thoughts, your feelings, your ideas, how you feel about yourself, how you feel about others. This is what he came to overcome because sin is an act of the will. It happens out here, but it requires you to move in that direction. And repentance tells you, turn away from that and move in my direction. Saying you're sorry doesn't work. Has it worked for anybody in this room? No. Saying you're sorry means you got caught. But repentance is a bigger deal. Requires more of you. Requires an action of you turning away from that and turning towards God. And if you're here for the first time, you're not here to be entertained. You're here to have an introduction. There is a God who loves you and wants to introduce himself to you through his word to let you know that wherever you are, whatever you're going through, you don't have to be anymore. He's already sent someone to rescue you. He's already sent someone on your behalf. And if you're here and you've said yes to Jesus Christ, you have to be mindful in the midst of everything that along with our lives of saying yes to Jesus, something is required of us. And that's for us to trust him and rely on him and submit to his leading and do whatever I got to do on my part so I can clear out this clutter so that God can sit where he belongs, alongside me on the sofa, at my dinner table. When I walk, he walks with me. When I cry, the Bible clearly states that not one tear that is shed hits the ground. He collects them. He remembers and he knows and he's aware and he hears and he sees. So wherever you find yourself, you need to know that within you, within you, there is this enemy that has to be removed. When you say yes to Jesus, that begins your process of the cleaning that has to happen in you. But in order for you to continuously be dredged up, you have to be in a position and in a place where God can do this work in you. You can't be running around taking care of all the errands and then come at the end of the day and say, God, I'm here. Do what you got to do. You just gave him the leftover of your day. I don't know about you. If I go to a restaurant and order a meal, I don't want them to get it from another people's table and then bring it to me. I want you to go in that kitchen and cook me up a mean meal and then bring it to me. I want it fresh. I want my meal. God has a meal for you. It's a meal for you that's not going to fill your tummy. It's going to satisfy your soul. And that's where we lack the most nourishment in our souls. This world, this life, man, has beaten the daylights out of us. And I'm so glad that you're here because I believe that the church historically has been a refuge for the brokenhearted, for those who have been crushed in spirit, for those who need clarity and are lost and just they don't understand what's going on. And then tragedy is going on all around us. And we can't make sense of it, but listen to me. God knows he sees, he hears, he is aware of everything that's going on. And listen to me, he's already sent a refuge for you. That refuge is Jesus Christ. 
So we got to like burn up what's inside us, right? We got to get rid of all this stuff that's inside us. We begin to do that through confession. The Bible is clear, right? And we continue to confess and confess. God begins to deal. What do, you, what do I confess? Confess everything. Confess the bad thoughts you're having right now. Confess the feelings. Confess what happened on the way here. Whatever it is you're doing, confess to one another. Seek forgiveness for one another. Listen, the early church, something crazy was going on in the book of Acts, chapter 2. Something unbelievable was happening. Like those people were like crazy in love with each other. They were like breaking bread with each other, looking out for each other. Yeah. And God saw that. Just the way he sees recovery, house of worship. I wonder if he penned a letter here. What would he say? What would he say to this church? Would it be similar to the Corinthians? Would it be similar to Galatians in which he pens to them, what's happened with you? What has bewitched you? You came through Jesus, now you want to do other things. What happened to you? The only way is through Jesus. And once you come through Jesus, the only way after that is Jesus. In your marriage, Jesus has to be at the center. In your relationships with one another, Jesus has to be there. Look at one another through Jesus' eye. Put away your judgmental glance. Put away, listen, I got to tell you, you don't like me, that's on you, man. That's on you. I love you. I love you. Truly, honestly, I love you. That's why I ask you guys, when you hug me, don't burn me because I'm not a baby. But I love you, genuinely. Genuinely love you. And, and, and that's something, my wife is in the front row, she can tell you, I didn't love too many people. Okay? No, seriously, I did not love too many people. All right? There was a reason for it. And the reason is, I looked at people in a cynical way. I looked at people in a way that all they wanted was to get. That was my view. I put on lenses of God, and it says, listen, forget about what they want to get. You give. Give of yourself. Give your love. Give your mercy. Give your compassion. Why? Because it's not yours. It belongs to me. So it belongs to him. I got to be able to let it flow through me so that the world can see that Jesus is alive and well by the way I live. I love you guys. And I'm grateful for each and every one of you. But the eternal rescue that happened 27 AD at the cross was simple. He died so that you could live. 